So what made you want to study Russian? So I've been interested in Russia and the former Soviet Union since high school. Uh, and I think my interest was inspired by uh, an affinity for Soviet, so like Russian fighter jets. Um, and, and my affinity eventually grew into an interest in better understanding Russia and its neighbors. My name is Miriam Tinberg. I did CLS 2012 in Amman, Jordan, and then a Fulbright in 2014-2015 to Rabat, Morocco. And my name is Ashley Rivenbark. I did the Critical Language Scholarship Program in 2014 in Hangzhou, China. And uh, my name is Farrell Charles, and I did the Critical Language Scholarship in 2016 in Vladimir, Russia. Hi everyone, welcome to the CLS AS Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. On the pod today we have Farrell Charles, who did CLS Russian in 2016, and currently works in the oil and gas sector in New York City. A lot of my interest was also spurred by the Russian invasion of Georgia uh, in 2000. Uh, eight, I believe. The initial decline uh, in U.S.-Russian relations in recent history. And I think that this was a, a very low point in U.S.-Russian relations that could have been avoided. And I thought to myself that I wanted to contribute to a world where the U.S. and Russia had a deconflicted relationship mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a world where the U.S. and Russia tried to work towards better understanding each other and building uh, better mutual trust. Um, and so I thought that that contribution could be achieved from either a public or private sector standpoint, either going into the government or a policymaking body or working for an energy or commodities company. And I think that the CLS was the best way for me to amplify my language skills in a short amount of time. Um, and after a few application reje- rejections um, to the CLS, I finally got it. Typical story. Yeah. Yeah, I got rejected after I got it, too. What? what? <laughs> like the year after I applied again, and I was like, it, I got rejected. I didn't even make it past the first round. Wow. Yeah. But that's interesting. Like, I, I always like kind of when people go into language learning with those sort of lofty aspirational goals of like wanting to better the, the relationship. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So Some people call me naive, but I'd rather, you know, be naive and try something mm-hmm. and fail rather than mm-hmm. be like a realist and, you know, contributing to more hostile mm-hmm. world. Yeah, so. I get called idealistic a lot, for sure. Yeah, my yeah. parents, too. too. Yeah. <laughs> and especially, I find it interesting, too, like, not only those lofty goals, and again, I find them really inspiring, but, like, the, the nuanced reasons, too, mm. like, you liked learning about these different fighter jets and things yeah. like that. Like, that's so interesting. I've never heard of anyone wanting to... My, that yeah, reason. that my is a different, was, a different entry point into the language, mm-hmm. I feel, than most Yeah, people. yeah, my dad was in the Air Force, and um, I oh, cool. kind of wanted to be a pilot for some you know, for some time, and we used to play these flight simulators, but they were fighter flight simulators, so they were like, you would you would fly jets, and you'd shoot other jets down, and you'd play online, and, you know, I always liked the American planes, because they were, they were just cool, and, you know, I'm American, so I'm, I'm a patriotic about that, but the Russian jets kind of looked really unique and interesting, mm-hmm. and they had these, you know, weird designs, and these red stars on the ring, mm-hmm. on the wings, so I was like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to Google these planes and see yeah. what they're about, and that opened up a whole, a whole universe for me, so... That's so neat. Yeah. Cool. Well, so why do you think that learning a language in the target country is important? Like specifically going to Russia to learn there. Yeah, so I think being in the country forces you to adapt quickly. CLS doesn't send students to big cities. They send students mm-hmm. to, you know, smaller towns or remote parts of the country where you're forced to, you know, speak only that language. So, so being forced to adapt is a kind of shock experience for the brain and um, also, you know, you just learn better in those, in those circumstances. 
I can tell you, like, Russian grammar is, like, super confusing. Mm. But, it like, you don't feel how confusing it is unless you're there. Like, mm. when I was at Cal State Long Beach taking Russian courses, you know, the course would be, like, an hour. And then you'd just leave class and you'd go get a burrito or something. And you'd order and whatever. you could, I mean, Spanish. I can order a burrito in Spanish. But, like, you, just or, you can just order in English and all of your Russian grammar problems are over for the day. You can go to the beach and you don't have to worry about Russian. But when I was in Russia... And, like, I had a really tough Russian grammar class, and then I had to, like, figure out how to get home on the bus. Because my host mom only took me to school one time. She only took me to school one time, and that was it. I had to, like, get home, and I remember one day I got lost, and I and somehow ended up on the other side of the city, like, Whoa. across this bridge. I was almost in another city. And the bus driver kept telling me, Kanyets, which in Russian means the end. Like, this is the end of the line. But I thought she was saying Kanyeshna, which means of course. And I was like, why is this lady saying of course to me? I'm really like upset right now and I'm on the wrong side of town. I don't know how to get back. Like there's no Uber in this in this city. And you really felt like how important it was for you to learn the language. Because you would get into those kind of situations there. Um, so you just took the language just a lot more seriously. I couldn't ask the, the bus driver in English how to get back to whatever street I live on. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't that good at asking her how to do that in, in Russian and for sure wasn't going to be able to do it in English. So just being in those kind of environment, environments, is, it's a little bit stressful, but it just forces you to adapt. So I think that's why it's really important uh, to be in the country where the language is spoken. Mm-hmm. I also feel like this is one of the things I try to explain to people, like the coming back from abroad and that um, is almost in some ways that reverse culture shock is in some ways harder to deal with because every day you have these milestones. Like you were able to figure out your way home. You were able, like simple things that we just take for granted in English. It's our mm-hmm. everyday. You order, you figure out your directions, you whatever. But it's like every day we're experiencing like 18 of those little milestones. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. feel like that's so important, both for the language learning sake, but also just in general for like personal growth. I was like, oh my God, I was 19 years old. I can do this. I can get lost and like figure out my way home, get out of sticky situations. And I like now being back in the U.S. for what, like five years, I'm like, oh my God, I missed that. Mm -hmm. Like it's so much harder to like have little victories like that for personal Mm -hmm. growth. Mm -hmm. So I think I love hearing stories about people getting lost. We're both curious always in asking people because I don't personally work in any type of Arabic language, Middle East industry. Um, how are you utilizing Russian, um, either the experience abroad or the language itself that you gained through CLS in your current job? Um, and then how are you continuing to practice and maintain it, whether or not you, you work in it? I work in energy now, particularly natural gas and power. I only use Russian to talk to my co- Russian-speaking coworkers. I just met like a Ukrainian guy downstairs i met uh i met a lithuanian lady and a hungarian guy they both speak russian um like one floor up from me um so i mean i don't use language on my job but i just use to talk to my coworkers that Mm. might be russian speaking um i mean i have i have a master plan in the works to (laughs) use russian in my career in 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 the mid to long term but um you know, I, I think right now with the current uh, political climate, as you guys can see, mm-hmm. uh, between the U.S. and Russia, it's really hard for me to be able to be have transparency when expressing uh, my ideas about Russia and also to seek careers which might utilize my Russian language skills but might want me to think and act a certain way based on, based on the current political climate. Mm. So before I went to grad school, I, I, I made a plan A and a plan B. My plan A was, you know, I would like to go into public service. And, and see how that works out and use my Russian language skills. 
but my plan B was I want to I want to work in the private sector, particularly the en- the energy industry because there's a lot of um, energy partnership going on between the U.S. and Russia that's not you know discussed a lot. Um, there's a lot of partnership going on in the energy relationship between the U.S. and former Soviet countries that's also not discussed a lot. And I thought that there could be opportunities there in the near future, not immediately, obviously, to use my Russian language skills. So I plugged away at the plan A, and um, I can't be too transparent about that, but mm-hmm. that, that, that opportunity could potentially open someday. But I'm currently on my plan B right now, and it's working very well. And I feel like if the plan A opportunity doesn't come to fruition... I'm perfectly happy in the energy sector, and um, I work for a natural gas and, and power company right now. We sell natural gas and electricity, but I think, you know, I'd like to transition to a role where, you know, I can work for a company that is doing business uh, with Russian energy companies and use, use, use my language um, expertise. Um, I, I think the U.S.-Russian relationship is, is like the economy. It's cyclical. Uh, I believe that mm-hmm. the tensions will subside soon. But I think right now I just have to apply some restraint and maybe force myself to to stay out of the Russian speaking sector in a in a professional capacity, mm-hmm. until these tensions subside. Everyone thinks that they're experts now, mm-hmm. and these so called experts are like really skewing the discourse on the relationship. It's the people that think they know a lot about Russia that are talking too much right now that don't know anything, mm-hmm. and the people that know everything are too scared to talk because of how they think that they're going to be slandered or how they think they're they're going to be labeled afterwards. And so the real experts and rising specialists, which I consider myself a rising specialist, are caught between the rock and the hard place. Um, if you flaunt your regional language experience or your regional mm. cultural experience, yeah. it may lead to ridicule from you know, Western observers. And if, if you take too harsh of a stance towards Russia, um, then it may lead to isolating you know, the, the, the few partners that you might have over there. So, so right now... I'm just going to wait for things to, to kind of calm down. I'm going to keep getting experience in my industry right now and waiting for the other place to see what they have to say and, and just be patient. Wow, that's crazy. It's like it's the best time to be speaking Russian, but it's also like you only are supposed to have it to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You can't have it too much because once you have too much knowledge or right. too much political understanding... People have a lot of questions. Yeah, so yeah. that's a very tricky place to be. It seems like you're walking a fine line, though, and you're like looking at it very um, yeah. level-headedly. I mean, even when I came back from Russia for, after the critical language scholarship, I just had my classmates asking me, like, hey, was anybody trying to like spy on you? And, and these are your, I, your Russian classmates, or people? No, my in the my US. classmates in the U.S. Oh, okay, were okay. asking me these questions, and I wasn't sure whether to take the question seriously or not. I mean, of course, like that kind of stuff can happen overseas, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that's the that's how the conversation has been skewed so much to the extent that my classmates that don't know anything about Russia, that's the first thing that they ask me when I come back from the scholarship. That's that's a problem. Yeah. So yeah. And it's it's so fascinating to see that that jump like you go into a language just thinking I'm going to learn something new I'm going to learn a new language and then you find out where you are now which is you know it's just so much more complicated with yeah. you know the political climate you almost want to hide yeah. yeah you're right you mean you almost you almost want to want to hide the fact that you know so much about this place mm. because you just don't want the attention right now you know and it's very unfortunate it's rough because this is the exact time that we need people to be speaking these types of languages and that's you know, the point of the critical language scholarship. Yeah, it's like a very, very fine line to walk between learning 
yeah. these languages and being able to understand this and you know not being put up on this like weird pedestal or to Russia on a public diplomacy program in 2017, one, uh, a year after oh. CLS. Um, it was an NGO, uh, which has some ties to the Kremlin. And I think that it was, a, as an, it was an attempt at Russia to employ some soft power, like, hey, uh. look at, try to look at Russia in a, in a more positive light. I knew what they were trying to do with the yeah. program. Um, Russians have done this for a long time. To, to try to represent themselves in a different light that they've been represented in. It's called soft power. Every country does this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I went on the program because it was a good opportunity for me to meet Russian policymakers, meet uh, young Russian leaders in the government, to see what they think about the situation and, and to get their opinions. Mm-hmm. It was a very unique opportunity. I was in the Russian Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs, where a lot of this disinformation is, is from Russia is disseminated from. Mm-hmm. I was in the Ministry of Defense where we met the head of uh, international cooperation, basically the guy that's directly dealing with uh, the leaders in Syria and the leaders in different countries where Russia has military engagements. And we were talking to them about the relationships. It was very candid discussions. Um, even we went to a Russian think tank called the Russian International Affairs Council, and we talked to people that were very much so anti-Putin. But if you were to watch you know, our media... You wouldn't know that these kind of conversations are happening in Russia unless you were to go there and actually see it. And even when this guy was like saying, like, I'm waiting for the day that Putin is gone, I was just like looking around the room like, yo, is this guy supposed to be <laughs> saying this right now? Like, is somebody going to come in and like put a bag over his head? And it's like, that was even, that was my own biases yeah. towards the situation mm-hmm. because I've been inundated with this right. negative media. And like, nothing happened to this guy. This guy's like still writing and traveling and talking about Russia and talking about. You know, hopefully Putin will, will be gone and, and Russia will have a brighter future. I think for right now, like, I just need to have patience and, um, you know, be committed to maintaining my language abilities. And um, I, you know, I live in New York, so I go to Brighton Beach and, and Sheepshead Bay. Oh, nice. And yeah. I have an opportunity to speak Russian That's there. Very cool. and And, and um, you know, get some inspiration. So, yeah, I'll just be patient for now. I mean, it's interesting what you were saying about, like, you have the opportunity to be, it kind of leads us into the diversity and inclusion part. Like you have the opportunity to be a representative for better or worse of America. And conversely, by you being there, you are learning knowledge that you can then passively or actively bring back. You know, it's kind of annoying when classmates are like, oh, were you a spy, this or that? But, and it sucks that like those of us that do invest in these languages kind of have to be these representatives. But I think that's, you know, why we do it to a certain extent is that soft power. So even just you being there is... And I don't think it's idealistic to be like, it is just exposing people to different realities. So Yeah, exactly. Um, and that kind of, it does go along with diversity and inclusion, um, which is the main, the, the bulk of this podcast. So we always like to ask people, what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? To just give us, you know, like a little off the cuff, like what is your definition? Um, and then why do you think specifically, because there's so many different directions for diversity and inclusion, why do you think um, that it's important in the context of language learning abroad? Sure. So, so to me, diversity and inclusion means a level playing field for everyone. And in my opinion, it doesn't mean lowering the bar. It just means leveling the playing field so everybody gets a, a fair shot, no matter your identity, how you look, how you live, um, how you act. I just think that the playing field needs to be leveled. I think this is very important in language learning abroad because it gets more people from under, underrepresented backgrounds to have uh, cross-cultural experiences that they might not have had before. 
And I think this could greatly benefit the U.S. in the long run. We severely lack people, especially those of color, who understand countries which are troublesome for the U.S., mm-hmm. i.e. Your, your Iran's, your Russia's, your China's, your North Korea's of the world, right? I think this is a major contributing factor to the state of relations between our respective countries. Um, and as a black person or Af- African-American, whatever you, you, know, you want to call me, we do not, we do not study abroad um, a mm. lot compared to our white, Asian, or Latin American counterparts. And I think this is bad because we are missing out of these opportunities to learn valuable languages and cross-cultural skills. And I think some of the biggest barriers for us are the costs associated with studying abroad and the fears of racism, which might keep us grounded in America. I mean, we already have to deal with, with racism here. Like, so, like, If that's the best, that why? you're grounded in American racism? like Yeah, yeah we already have to deal with rough. it. I mean, even in New York, like, yeah. I've heard things in my classrooms, and it was just like, this is New York. Like, mm-hmm. how is this guy saying this right now? Crazy. You know, I remember when I first got the CLS, like, my first thought was like, yes. And then my second thought was just like, oh, man, I'm going to Russia. Like, I heard this place is, like, super racist. And I was, like, a little bit uncomfortable about that. But I think that... You know, had I not done it, I would serve a tremendous disservice to myself and my country. So um, I'm glad I went, and I'm glad that CLS prioritizes diversity and inclusion. Um, and I, I, it's something that I really like to see uh, continuing going forward. Mm. Wow. So can you tell us about a time when you were in Russia when your identity, and I know we have lots of different facets of our identity, so you can choose you know, whatever means most to you as an American, as a person of color, as a student at the time, um, when that identity was at the forefront of how others perceived you, and what did you do in that moment to address it or make it a teachable moment? Yeah, so when I was in Russia, it was super uncomfortable uncomfortable because everybody was staring at me. It was just uncomfortable, and I was a little bit used to it because I had previously studied abroad in Kazakhstan, and I remember that people were staring at me there. Um... But, you know, when you're being stared by, like, a, you know, Kazakhs are a combination of, like, Turkic, Mongol people. They're, they're, they're Asian, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're getting stared at by someone who's also a person of color, it, it, it feels different than when you're getting stared at by Russian, who's, like, most Russians are, are Slavic, you know, East Slavic white people, mm-hmm. right? So when you're getting stared by, by, by somebody like that, I don't know, it just feels different. It feels more uncomfortable, um, and, and, and I'm just going to be honest, like some Russians look scary, you know, and, and, and so um, a lot of them don't smile. Their culture attributes smiling to, 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 to foolishness and stupidity um, if you're smiling for no reason. And, and I think it's just hard to tell what they're thinking when they're looking at you. And I wasn't sure what they were thinking. The fact that I lived in this small city just made it even worse. Like if I was, if I was in Moscow, it would be a lot easier. Mm, yeah. um, but, you know, I just tried to to be comfortable and remind myself, like, like, yo, I live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Like, Brooklyn is a very dangerous... Even today, like, yeah, sure, there's hipsters and gentrifying and whatnot, but still, like, people get robbed. So I was just like, what do I have to worry about? Like, yeah, sure, it's Russia, but, like, I live in Brooklyn. Like, it was, like, a little bit of a hard knocks life, so yeah. I, I had to remind myself of that, like, remind myself that I've been in probably way more dangerous situations and put myself at ease, and that's, you know, what I eventually did. It was a huge learning experience for me. Like to be outside of my comfort zone and to be stressed all the time, but at the end, I I was speaking Russian and it was like totally worth it and I have no regrets about that. I don't know if you have this experience, Ashley, in China, but what you're saying really resonates with me because it wasn't. Someone described I had a similar experience being a woman in the Middle East, um, and someone had described this before uh, a past woman alum, and she she was like, "It's not that you feel um, unsafe; it's just that you feel." 
you rarely, she was like, I rarely feel uncomfortable, or I really feel unsafe, but I always feel uncomfortable. And it's just, I don't know if you actually felt more physically unsafe. It sounds like maybe you were afraid of actual physical danger. But for me, for the most part, it was just this constant state of discomfort and feeling like you're being, people are staring. I mean, cafes in the Middle East will have like their chairs. All the men will sit in a line on the sidewalk and the chairs will all face out to the sidewalk so they can just watch women so they as can they pass. Watch you looking, yeah. And it's like constantly feeling like you're being undressed by someone's eyes and like you, which as I'm not a racial minority in the U.S., so this is not something that I experience, but I understand this is the life of a lot of minorities in the U.S. walking into a room and being like, I am the only one. And suddenly this is all anyone sees, all heads are turning, and you can't escape your own identity even though you're there to learn a language. And so it's, it's yeah. that like mix of maybe it's not even physical danger necessarily, but the state of discomfort. And I don't know if that, so like when, when people say like, oh, did you love Morocco? Did you love Jordan? I'm like, I loved it, but I hated it too. It's like such a, it's a, a hard line to walk between mm-hmm. like not wanting to always be confronted with your identities and also loving the culture. But like, this is just something that's hard to deal with. Yeah. I, I mean, there was like one time where I saw like a group of Russian guys and they were all staring at me. And then like, I turned around and they were like, walking behind me. Yeah, that's scary. And I was just like, all right, are these guys going to come up to me and, like, try to fight me, or are they just going to come up to me and, like, ask for pictures and stuff like that? Because, like, sometimes that would happen. Like, they're like, hey, man, my brother, like, let's take a picture. And and that was the only time that I felt like, all right, like, if these guys fight me, I'm going to get one of them at least. You were like, like, plan A, plan B. You were just plan A, plan B. Like, I'm not going to go down like this, you know? I remember when I was in Kazakhstan, I got into a little bit of 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 a tussle, and I regretted not just not getting one of them and just trying to be on the safe side. Ooh. But 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 this time when I was in Russia, I saw these guys like pass me and looking. They were all looking at me. Oh, and then I kept walking. And I turned around. And they were like walking my direction. I was just like, all right, I'm gonna get, like, if something happens, I'm going to get at least one of them. And if nothing happens and ask me to take a picture, I'm just going to say no, because like mm-hmm. I feel I feel uncomfortable right now. Um, yeah. That was the only time I felt dangerous. Most of the time, I was just uncomfortable, just people staring at me. And, like, mm-hmm. I just don't like drawing attention to myself. You know, I, like, I prefer to blend in. But, like, Russia is the worst place for me to try to blend in. So, um, Which is another reason for increased diversity. It's, like, you shouldn't be that a rarity. Like, eventually, we hope for a world in which, like, you just, people just exist and have the luxury well, of just, like, living. Russia, Russia isn't, like, a top de- <laughs> world Yeah, I mean, maybe that, that is actually idealistic for Russia, but, but I'm, even you know, for I'm the U.S., right? Let's just hope that at least here, yeah. eventually, like, people just can walk down the street and not be, you know, different or yeah. the only one in any given area. Yeah. 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 And, and going off that, like, in your experience over there, how did you feel diversity and inclusion was addressed in Russia? Is it even a conversation that's being talked about over there? No, it's not even the thing in Russia. Um, yeah. Russia like Russia has a history of racism and xenophobia, mm-hmm. and for all my Russian friends, sorry, I'm just gonna be, I'm just being honest right now <laughs> about about your country that you guys need to work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but this hatred in Russia is perpetrated by the Russian East East Slavic Russian white people mm-hmm. against. Um, the the other ethnic minorities. So I'm talking your Caucasians, so your Georgians, Armenians, your Azerbaijanis, your Turks from Central Asia, your your Kazakhs, your your Kyrgyz, your Turkmens, um, you know your different Turkic tribes that actually live in Russia. I'm talking like your your Tuvans, your Bashkirs, um, these different groups. They look Asian, or some of them look maybe like a mixture between Arab and white. But you can mm. definitely tell that they're not they're not East East Slavic Russians. And, and Russians just treat them. A lot of Russians treat them treat them very badly. There's a lot of racism. 
Uh, and 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 for for me, it's it's kind of hard to understand because Russians at their core are a mixed people, right? And this is one of the reasons why Europe has for centuries not accepted Russians as being a part of them, as as being white. Like a lot of European countries view Russians as being like mixed with the savages, mixed with the Mongols. They're too different for us to accept. Wow. They're too different. Like they're they're white, but they're not white enough. So we we're not going to accept them into into like our club, you know. Russians are, are at their core a, a very mixed people, right? The, the East Slavic Russians, right? So I don't understand their racism. I mean, a lot of Russians are mixed with the people that they conquered. I mean, there's a very there's a there's a funny joke in Russia, um, and it's a very famous joke, which is if you scratch a Russian, you'll find a Tatar. Tatars are Tatars. Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Are the second biggest ethnic group. There, there's some of them there in Crimea. Some of them are in Russia. They're the second biggest biggest ethnic group in Russia. They're Muslims. They're not ethnically Russian, but a lot of Russians are mixed with them mm. and vice versa. But a lot of Russians are racist towards them. Mm. And I just don't get it. I don't understand it. But Do you um, think this is a situation of um, like self internalized self-hatred? No. I don't think that it's like that because um, I, I just don't think it's like that. Like I, I think if, if a Russian comes here and they feel like different because they're Russian and they feel like a lot of Americans treat them differently because they're Russian, sometimes you'll see that, you know, uh, internalized self-hatred mm. in them because they'll be like, I don't want to be Russian anymore because Americans oh. keep making fun of me, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They keep calling me, you know, communist or they keep saying that I drink vodka. Um, so I, I might I might try to hide the fact that I'm Russian. So we tend to end these segments with doing a lightning round where we ask you kind of quick fire questions about your experience over there. Um, so our first question is, what was your favorite food in Russia? Pilmeni, Russian dumplings, lamb and beef. Mm. They're mm. awesome. Delicious. All right. What was your favorite place you visited while you were in Russia? Krasnaya Bullshit Red Square. Ooh. Yeah. Really cool. Cool. Um, what's your favorite phrase in Russian? Yanis Nile, it means I don't know, and it just got me out of a lot of situations. It got me out of explaining myself to people. It got me out of like not knowing my aunt the answer to this Russian weird Russian grammar. This is like Yanis Nile, and it's like a, it was like a really great cop out. Yes, love that. Um, okay, tell us about a time when you wanted to cry. Um, when I got lost on the bus on the other side of the town, um, the bus driver was telling me "konyets," and I thought she was saying "of course" to me, but "of course" is a different word. And, I didn't want to cry. I was just like, want to pull my hair that doesn't exist out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Tell us about a time when you were reminded of how happy you were to be there. Um, I think when I was talking to my host mom in Russian without needing Google Translate Mm. about politics and just the conversation just kept going. And I was just like, wow, I'm actually like speaking Russian right now about like a really tough topic, Mm -hmm. which is like even hard to talk about in English. And I was just like, this is cool. I'm really starting to get the language down. Those are the best aha moments when it finally just clicks for you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess any final pieces of advice before we go? Anyone who's interested in CLS, interested in going to Russia? I think uh, you need to remind yourself you're not going on vacation. This isn't a lavish trip to Cancun or Paris where you'll like sip mojitos and eat croissants. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be uncomfortable at times. You'll be stressed. You'll be annoyed. But it's all for the benefit of you and your country and depending on how you look at, at things, the world. So stick it through. Um, there's a, There are immense benefits at the end. This is like a very competitive scholarship. Like mm-hmm. I had to apply a couple times just to get it. Um, and I realized why. 
Um, you might not have the same recognition as the Fulbright, but it's very it's it's still very hard to to get. Keep that in mind. Um, you are, are joining a very small cadre of of immensely bright individuals, as you guys are very uh, bright. Um, and they're interested in improving the, in the, the world. So take ownership of that. Wear mm. it with pride. Um, you guys have earned Steps. it. Love that. It's great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I, oh, gosh. I just feel like I've learned so much today. Like, cool. Just a little what, a Saturday morning wisdom. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. This was, like, really amazing. You're our first and probably only guest that we're going to do in person. And I feel like this just elevated the podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you nice. for imparting your wisdom. And before nice. we go, can oh. you say goodbye to everyone in Russian? Uh, da, ya, ya, ya magu. Um, da svidania. Uh, всем спасибо. Uh, is skora uvidimsa. He said goodbye. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you soon. Awesome. everybody for listening to our podcast today we want to give a special shout out and thanks to clsas and cls ambassadors for supporting this programming and if you guys want to learn more about cls or clsas or be on future episodes of the podcast go to clsas.org in the media tab and thank you listeners and participants of the pod for being open-minded and willing to jump into these tough but important conversations 